Thank you for listening to the sermon audio podcast from Greenwood Baptist Church in Weatherford, Texas. Now here's a message from our senior pastor, Brian Bond. All right, good morning. Um, We're going to begin by uh, um, taking a moment. This is Memorial Day weekend and and, um, you know, I, I know that, first of all, we enjoy the freedom that we have in Christ, which is freedom from sin and death. Um, but we all woke up this morning in, living in a free country, able to go to the church of our choice and worship as we chose. And that freedom and the freedom that we have to live um, in this country came at the, uh, the cost of many who gave their lives for our freedoms. And so we want to remember them. And so I'm going to ask if everyone would bow your heads for a moment. And we're going to have a moment of silence, and then I will lead us in a word of prayer. Father in heaven, we thank you first for your son Jesus that sets us free from death and the power of sin. And Father, today we also are reminded of those who have gone before us, who laid down their lives in defense of their country and for our freedoms. And Father, we pray for those families that have been affected um, through the years, through the centuries, Lord, even as this country has existed Father, by those losses, the losses of our best and our brightest. And Father, we thank you for their sacrifice. We pray that it would be an inspiration, Lord, to others to lay down their lives uh, for a friend. Father, no greater love hath any man. And Father, we thank you for their sacrifice. We thank you for the freedom that we have in this nation. And most of all, we thank you for the freedom that we have in Jesus. We pray and we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, our uh, first service was a little bit late getting done because we were um, baptizing a, a young lady and uh, named Jade, and her father determined to be wanted to get baptized as well, and so uh, Ronnie had the opportunity and it w- went through the uh, the salvation testimony with him before they were baptized, and so everybody was, we were all sitting out here waiting, but I'm like, man, we'll do that. we'll take that every week. And uh, it's kind of cool. They're both from the cutting horse industry. And um, uh, this week I'll be, if you'll be praying for me, I'll be with Horsemen for Christ as we um, have our have camp this week um, for uh, it's Bible and cutting horse camp. And there are many people that have been saved through the years as a result of that camp. And, and uh, many of those in our church have been a part of it as well. And so we appreciate being able to partner with them and, and serve in that area. And if you'd be praying for us this week, um, there's nearly 300 people that are going to be out there, and so we're looking for a, a great week and a, a great opportunity. Um, we're going to continue in our series in Acts. We're going to be at Acts chapter 5, and I'm actually going to begin with the first um, few verses, first, uh, the, the last few verses of chapter 4. And you ever, you ever see a movie where everything is just going so well that in the back of your mind, you know... There's something fitting to happen here. Something's not going to, you know, there's, there's one guy that, you know, that's like they go out of their way to try to make you love, and you're like, yeah, he ain't going to make it to the second part of the movie. I mean, y- y'all know that? Well, that's kind of what happens here. Things are so good, and then there's this unspeakable, awful thing that happens afterwards. And it's not because God's waiting 
to zap us or waiting to, to put something bad on us. It's because sometimes when things are going really well, that's when we open the door to some type of sin. And we open the door to the enemy to have a place in our lives and our families and in our churches. And that's what happened here. So first of all, we're going to read the happy part. Um, Acts chapter 4, verses 32 through 37. If you'd please stand in honor of the reading of God's word. It's all the believers were united in heart and mind, and they felt that what they owned was not their own, so they shared everything they had. The apostles testified powerfully to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus, and God's great blessing was upon them all. And there were no needy people among them, because those who owned land or houses would sell them and bring the money to the apostles to give to those in need. For instance, there was Joseph, the one the apostles nicknamed Barnabas, which means son of encouragement. He was from the tribe of Levi and came from the, the island of Cyprus. He sold a field he owned and brought the money to the apostles. Thank you. You may be seated. You know, there are a couple things that I want us to see from that first part is that everybody was united. They were moving forward. The blessing of God was upon them all. And so they were experiencing God's blessings. And you know, sometimes there, there's different ways that temptation overtakes us or comes to us. Sometimes it's in times of lack or when we're in times of struggle. But sometimes it comes when everything's really good. And that's when we're tempted. And that's what happened in this circumstance. And I'm going to tell you right up front, there is a, a man and a woman that are going to drop dead in this next passage of Scripture. And it's kind of shocking. It's hard to look at. It's hard to see. But I want us to get from this what God may want us to remember and know in this year and in this time. You know, hypocrisy is, is a word that um, Jesus used. He talked about it with the religious leaders because they said one thing and did another. And you'll hear people out. There's people out in the, in the world. Hey, would you come to our church? Nah, because the church is full of a bunch of hypocrites, yada, 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 and so on and so forth. And I, I get that. But let me tell you what hypocrisy is and what it isn't. Hypocrisy is not a believer that sins because we all sin. And as a matter of fact, we shouldn't try to hide that or cover that up. I mean, I'm a sinner. You're sinners. We sin, we blow it. We serve a risen Savior, one who paid the penalty so that we would be forgiven of our sins. Now, that's not an excuse to go on and sin as much as we want. Hypocrisy is when we try to pretend like or we deliberately lie about our sin. Oh, no. We try to cover them up. We try to make people think we don't sin or we're better than we are. And that happened in this circumstance. Maybe this guy, this, this couple got jealous because of all the attention that Barnabas got. Because he sold his property, gave it to the church, to anybody that would have it. And you know what? There was probably a big celebration. Everybody's going, hey, Barnabas, way to go, dude. I, maybe they didn't use dude back then, but you know what I mean. For whatever reason, here's what they decided to do next. So there was a certain man named Ananias who, with his wife Sapphira, sold some property. He brought part of the money to the apostles, claiming it was the full amount. With his wife's consent, he kept the rest. Then Peter said, and we don't know how Peter knew this, if it was by the Holy Spirit or somebody came and told him, hey, here's what they, I, I don't know. We don't know how that happened. We know God's involved in this, but here's what happens next. Then Peter said, Ananias, why have you let Satan fill your heart? You lied to the Holy Spirit, and you kept some of the money for yourself. The property was yours to sell or not sell as you wished. 
And after selling it, the money was also yours to give away. How could you do a thing like this? You weren't lying to us, but to God. As soon as Ananias heard these words, he fell to the floor and died. Everyone who heard about it was terrified. Then some young men got up, wrapped him in a sheet, and took him out and buried him. Well, there's a couple things I want us to see from that. Because, you know, there's part of me that when you read that, you're like, man, that, that didn't seem like that serious of a sin, did it? I mean, why would that happen? Well, the Scripture tells us that it is serious. It says in 1 Peter 2, 1, so get rid of all evil behavior. Be done with all deceit, hypocrisy, jealousy, and all unkind speech. Now, he probably hit three of those four. He was jealous, he was a hypocrite, and deceitful. But you know what? If I'm looking at it, I'm thinking, man, there's a lot worse sins. Why would, why would that happen? That doesn't seem fair. I want to disabuse your mind of that notion right from the beginning. None of us are here as believers in Christ, worshiping in, in a church, worshiping his name because of God's fairness. That's not why you're here. You're here because of God's grace. You see, fair is that I pay the penalty for my own sins, that you pay the penalty for your own sins, and that means eternal separation from God. Grace is that Jesus came and took my penalties and your penalties upon his body and paid the price in my place. That's not fair. That's grace. And that's what we live in. So none of us can say, well, that's not fair that that happened to them, because the truth is fair would mean that same thing would happen to me. And so we can look at it and we can think, man, is God fair? God is just. The other thing I want to clear up about this is we don't, I don't know for certain. It doesn't say specifically one way or another. But what it doesn't say, it do, Peter never says that they were never believers in the first place. So apparently, these people were believers. It would have been really hard in the early days when the Holy Spirit was strong and they were uh, filled by the Spirit, those who were believers, to have fooled everybody into thinking you're a Christian if you're not. But at some point, they began to open the door to the enemy. Maybe it was because of jealousy. Maybe they had done things serving the church too and they didn't feel like they were getting enough recognition. Or maybe they just wanted people to think they were more than they were. I don't know. We don't know what their motivations were. We don't know why they did it. Here's what we do know. They didn't steal from the church. The land was theirs. Peter made it clear. And even after they sold it, the money was theirs. But what they did was they tried to lie to God. That's what Peter called them out for. And here's the thing that we've got to remember. Disobedience is disobedience. And disobedience is sin. And you know what? Sometimes we might want to think, well, that's not that big a sin, is it? But in God's eyes, they're all big sins. Because anyone who sins earns death and separation from God. The wages of sin is death. The wage of that sin they committed was death. And by us going in our minds, well, it's really not that big a deal, is to downplay what Jesus did on the cross. And the thing about hypocrisy is, is that once you get started trying to be more than you are, once you get started trying to get people to think 
that you're more spiritual than you really are. Once you get started getting people to think that you don't do this sin or are you really, you know, you covered that one up. So maybe you can cover another one up. Maybe you can do that as you start living a fake life. And everything that you do in that area allows the enemy a foothold into your life. And those come with great consequences. It says in Titus 1, 15 through 16, everything is pure to those whose hearts are pure. But nothing is pure to those who are corrupt and unbelieving because their minds and consciences are corrupted. Some people claim they know God, but they deny him by the way they live. They're detestable and disobedient, worthless for doing anything good. And here's the deal, is when you choose to live as a hypocrite, and that is a deliberate lie. Hypocrisy is a deliberate lie. Being a hypocrite is not, well, yeah, you're a Christian. How could you blow it like that? Man, I, I am a Christian. I follow Jesus, but that doesn't mean that I'm perfect. I'm not. I sinned. I blow it. I blew it. I'm sorry. And we need to learn how to confess and to be open and honest about our sins. Now, you don't have to tell everybody about every sin. If I said, hey, let's all stand up and, and confess our sins right now in front of everybody, we'd be here for hours. <laughs> I might be here long as all. I don't know. Some of y'all might be here like a day or two. I don't know. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> but look, here's the deal. You got sins of commission. Those are things you do that you're not supposed to do. I've committed some of those. Anybody in the last week? They're sins of omission. Things I should have done that I didn't do. Anybody else committed those? Then you got sins of the mind. Things that I, I, I allowed my mind to drift towards that I shouldn't have. Then you got sins of the heart. I got anger. You got unforgiveness. You got all these, you got all these things you throw in there. They're all sins, each one of them. The penalty for it is death. And here's the thing. The only way, the, Jesus, the Bible tells us, it says, look, that he is faithful when we confess our sins. He is faithful and righteous to forgive our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So we need to learn how to confess our sins. And don't try to pretend like you're perfect. You know, the, the people out in the world that are, that are looking for hope, they're not looking for perfect people. They're looking for people that are real and that are genuine. Now, I'm not saying you go around and tell everybody you come across, hey, here's my big sin. But what I'm saying is you don't try to pretend like you've never sinned. Be honest about it. Because when you start lying, you allow the enemy a foothold. There's all kinds of ways that we can allow footholds to the enemy. There's pride, there's arrogance, there's greed, all, all those different things. When you open the door to the enemy, you give him a foothold and an opportunity. And here's the thing about the enemy. He didn't come to show you what fun is that God doesn't want you to have. And what he, what he offers might start out as being pleasurable or fun, but here's what it leads to. It leads to destruction because he wants to destroy you because you're created in God's image and he hates God. He wants to destroy anybody in the image of God. You ever come across somebody that reminded you of somebody else? You know, and, 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 Sometimes that's a good thing. Man, you look like my grandma. Can you make banana pudding like she? You know, you, 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 you think, you're drawn to them a little bit. 
And then maybe you come across somebody that looks or acts like somebody that did you wrong or that you didn't like at all. And then you're like, oh, come on, you know, you don't want nothing, nothing to do with them. Because they look like them, they remind you of them. Well, that's how you are with the enemy. The thief has come to steal, to kill, and to destroy. And he sucks people in by telling them, hey, this will help you. I mean, they probably thought they were going to get the same kind of praise and the same kind of recognition that Barnabas got. And they didn't get any of that. So we can look at it and say, well, what, what is the purpose of this? Why did God do this? In 1 Corinthians 10, 9 through 13, it says, nor should we put Christ to the test as some of them did and then died from snake bites. They tested God in the wilderness. They rebelled against him, and he sent poisonous snakes among them. And those snakes bit them, and they began to die as a result. And so he told Moses, he, Moses made, he put a bronze serpent on a pole, and he put it up in the camp of the Israelites, and those that looked upon this bronze snake were healed. And see, here's the thing is, we, we just get to thinking that the snake won't bite us. That maybe we can tame it. That maybe we can make it our friend. But at some point, it's going to bite you. That bronze pole was lifted up. That was a foreshadowing of Christ. That all who looked to them, because he said, and I, when I be lifted up, will draw all men unto myself. He was referring to that bronze pole. But see, it began in rebellion. So that's part of that's what that verse means. And don't grumble as some of them did, and then were destroyed by the angel of death. These things happened to them as examples for us. What happened to Ananias and Sapphira is an example for us. And the greatest example is don't give the enemy a foothold. If you think you're standing strong, be careful not to fall. I mean, out, out of all those believers, I mean, they probably thought they were six, seven feet tall and bulletproof, didn't they? Because God was blessing. God was doing things. They had boldness. And they started thinking they were bulletproof. And then they wanted a little some of it for themselves. The temptations in your life are no different from what others experience, and God is faithful. He will not allow the temptation to be more than you can stand. When you are tempted, he will show you a way out so that you can endure. You see, you, you're never, you can't ever say, one of the sayings when I was a kid was, oh, the devil made me do it. He can't make you do anything. He tempts you. He feeds you lies. He'll try to deceive you. But you have to make a choice. And when you give the enemy a foothold, an opportunity, then you've, you've given him an avenue. And some might think, man, that, that was a harsh thing. But how would you feel if somebody opened up the door and allowed the enemy to have access to your house? Let's say you invited some friends over, and then the, the warning came out. Hey, there's people swarming around the neighborhood that are trying to kill people. Keep your doors locked. And one of your friends went over and opened the door and said, oh, they're not that bad. They're, come on in here, y'all. 
Well, you'd go jump on them and beat them up and throw them out of your house, wouldn't you? I mean, in the name of Jesus or whatever, but you'd get them out. Because they just opened you up to danger. And that's what Ananias and Sapphira did to the whole church. Gave the enemy a stronghold, a toehold inside the church. And God's serious about that. Let me tell you something. Every step along the way when God progressed in the way of salvation, whether it was by building the temple so that he could come and dwell among his people, when they crossed over the Jordan, which was symbolic of salvation. See, the temple was just a foreshadowing of this temple, of God dwelling here. Going into the promised land, that was going through the waters of baptism, the Jordan, and coming into a relationship with Christ and the abundant life that God has planned for us there. But in both those circumstances, stuff happened. After the tabernacle was, was erected, God killed Nadab and Abihu for, for offering incense that he commanded them not to give. Now, that doesn't sound like a big deal, does it? But they were being disobedient. It was sin. And they were priests. And they were opening up a foothold for the enemy. When the children of Israel went across into the promised land, and they defeated the first city of Jericho. God told them, don't take any of the spoil. The rest of them you can have spoil, but not this one. This one belongs to me. Don't touch anything. And Achan, after this great victory, and everybody's celebrating, and it's this amazing thing. These walls just came tumbling down by the hands of God. And now the most fortified city in the land is, is gone. And what did he do? He stole gold and a cloak and hit him under his tent, and it cost him his life. And these things were done as a warning to us. Because there's something about when you're experiencing victory and you're seeing God move and you're seeing things happen that you've never seen before that makes you think you're bulletproof. Man, God's got his hand on me. And then we open up a door to the enemy. Now here's the second one, and this one's even a little bit harder. Because it was Ananias that came up with the plan. And he goes to his wife, and all the Bible says in that first part is she consented. And so now they've taken her husband out and they buried him. And a few hours later, it says after three hours in Acts 5, 7 through 11, about three hours later, his wife came in, not knowing what had happened. And there's people standing around there, too. You know, I just can't help but wonder, could she not read the room a little bit? I mean, these people are terrified. A guy just died, and now here's his wife, and you know everybody's like, oh, what's going to happen now? Peter asked her, was this the price you and your husband received for the land? Yes, she replied, that was the price. And Peter said, how could the two of you even think of conspiring to test the spirit of the Lord like this? The young men who buried your husband are just outside the door, and they will carry you out too. Instantly, she fell to the floor and died. When the young men came in and saw that she was dead, they carried her out and buried her beside her husband. Great fear gripped the entire church and everyone else who heard what had happened. Now, that seems like a real shift, doesn't it? You go from everybody's celebrating, everybody's talking about, they're just loving each other. God's hand of blessings on them. They're giving to one another. 
They're one heart and one mind. And now all of a sudden, two of them are dead. And fear grips them. And you know, that sounds like a bad deal, doesn't it? And for them, I guess you'd have to say it was. But the fact is that fear is not always our enemy. Fear of the wrong things is our enemy. Fear in the future, fear in the enemy, fear in what might come. But fear of God is our friend. Fear of God is our friend. You know, we can get, when God's really blessing us and things are going well, we can lose some of that fear. And I, I'm not saying fear is in being afraid of what God's going to do to us. It's, it's reverence and respect and awe of God and what he is and who he is. And never, ever, as much as you rely on God's grace, and you should, as much as the scripture says we can call out Abba Father, which is a term, an Arabic term for daddy, as much as we can approach him like that, never forget that he is also holy and just and righteous. And you know what that means? It means that we treat the things that he said as sin as significant. And you know, you could look at her and think, well, all she did was go along with it. All she did was, well, yeah, whatever he said, yeah, yeah, that's the price. It wasn't her idea. But let me tell you, one of the greatest trials of the church in the days ahead, and one of our greatest failures will be being silent. Because we live in a world and a culture that all, all it wants to do is silence us. It's tried to silence men about abortion. Well, that's, that's you, who are you to say anything? You're a man. Well, here's the deal, is that the enemy wants to destroy anything created in the image of God, right? And so that whole thing about, well, it's just part of a woman's body, it's not. Once a child is conceived, that child has their own DNA, their own fingerprints of God on them and in them. And they are created in his image. And we should all defend children. Don't let anyone silence you. As a matter of fact, the enemy knew men, God created men in some ways, to be protectors. I'm not saying women can't protect too. They can. But men has been hardwired in us to protect. And when the enemy can get the protector to be silent, shamed into silence or coerced into silence or whatever, then it gives him an opportunity. Do not back down. Just because somebody is angry, just because they are passionate, don't get angry back at them, but don't back down. Stand up in truth. And now it's, well, you know, you, you, need, to, you need to be quiet because, you know, we need to be inclusive. Hey, I'm going I'm to give you two of the biggest lies. Oh, let's just, let's just be inclusive. When inclusive means being silent to a destructive lie, That's sin. 
You know, this, the whole, I don't, in some ways I'm amazed that we have, that we're talking about things that we talk about today. I mean, as a kid, I never dreamed that we would have to argue about what a woman was and what a man was, but here we are. And there are whole groups, there are people that are trying to silence you. Well, you know, you blah, blah, blah. They'll deny truth. And it's amazing how much our society has bought into saying that here's a man. Oh, no, they're a woman because they think they're a woman. And that's become the norm. And what that leads to are, are these surgeries and hormones and everything. Let me tell you why the enemy so wants to do that. Is because it mars and it scars not only the body of the one who is created in the image of God, but it scars their mind and their hearts and their souls. The suicide rate is unbelievable. You know, right now in our country, our suicide rate is 56% higher than it was just a few years ago. You think that's by accident? No. It's because the enemy is getting into the hearts and minds of people and confusing them as to who they are and barring them from hearing the truth about who God created them to be. We have to stand up for the truth. If not, we're going to be held accountable for our silence and our acquiescence to lies that destroy those who are created in God's image. Now, am I saying you need to go out there yelling at people, being mad? No, I'm not. But we just have to firmly say, no. This is how God created you to be. This is, your, this is the only way to be fulfilled and to find love and to find joy and to find happiness. It is by trusting in your creator, the one who made you. You know, one, one of the it's it's as simple as the feminization of men that's going on. You know, I went to a drive-through the other day, and this lady got on, and I said, "Yes, ma'am," because that's that's what I was taught to do. And then I pulled around there, and it was a gentleman with a beard, and I'm like, I didn't know where to say. Uh, I, I didn't know what to say. Sorry, dude. <laughs> so, I, you know, I, I wasn't 100% sure what to do in that moment. But let me tell you, that's become more and more common. How many of y'all have walked in somewhere in the last month and gone, do I say yes, sir, or yes, ma'am? I, I don't know what to say here. Because Satan wants to feminize men and masculinize women. Because you know what? He wants to rob us of the God-given identity that we have. Hey, if you're a woman, rejoice in it. God created you to reflect his image in a way that a man can't. Men, rejoice in it. Be a man. Some man, uh, sorry. I'm getting all, now I'm getting all worked up. I'm not mad at them. I'm not. If I have, the, if I would love to have the opportunity to sit down and say, "Look, you're you're missing out on what God created you to be." Now, look, I'm not saying women can't do this or men. I, I'm not. Men should be nurturing and should be kind to their children in particular. Women ought to be strong. Those are all good things. You know, there's things that we share. But let me tell you something. 
God created you uniquely in his image as a man or as a woman. And there, there's nothing in between and there's nothing else. This whole garbage about there being 53 genders is absolutely ridiculous. My, one of my kids used to crawl around and say they were a kitty cat. I didn't buy them a collar and start feeding them on the floor cat food. I was like, ha ha, that's cute, get up. <laughs> I mean, that's insane. We need to be willing to tell the truth because when we don't, when we go along with the lie, there are consequences. And it comes from the enemy. Peter said it to Ananias. He said, why have you let Satan fill your heart? You lie to the Holy Spirit. You know, lies are so critical for us going forward as to who we're going to be or how we're going to stand or what we're going to do. You know, I, some of the things that I, I would think were not controversial, you can say now, and, and there, there are people that take exception to it. You know, I, it just amazes me. You know, there, there's all these, I, have you seen any ads for Christian Ouija boards? Anybody seen those? There's Christian tarot cards now. There are people that tell you that they are diviners or healers and they talk to your guardian spirits and they can look at your light or your R or whatever crap they come up with. And let, let me tell you what that is simply. It's satanic. The Bible tells us to test all spirits. I've had people tell me, come up and tell me, hey, this was, you know, I'm, God, give me the blah, blah, blah. And I'll ask them, I'll say, oh, yeah, how do you know that? Where'd you get that? Test the spirits. Find out where it came from. And if it's not from God, be done. And that used to not be a very controversial statement, but it apparently is now. But I don't, here's the deal. I'm not smart enough to figure out a bunch of stuff that God didn't tell us through his word. All I know is to tell you what the Bible says. And if you want to argue with me about those things, you best come with the Bible. Because I don't care about your feelings. I, I don't. And I'm not telling you to care about mine. I can be really passionate about something to be passionately wrong. And I bet you have too. But when you come with the word of God, you come with truth. Stand with truth. Be willing to stand up for truth. James 4.17, remember it is sin to know what you ought to do and then not do it. It's a sin if you hear a lie and you know it is destructive and you're not willing to stand up for the truth. Now, I get it. You don't get to go around to everybody you don't know and tell them, hey, here's where you need to get your life right. But we all need to be looking for opportunities to stand up and speak truth and be willing to speak it, even if everybody in the room would stand up and tell us we're wrong. See, we're all willing to stand up and tell the truth when everybody around us is willing to stand up with us. But we're going to have to be, and we're going to have to train our kids how to be willing to stand up and tell the truth when nobody will stand with them because that's where we're going. And you know what? God didn't just save you to sit around and make life easy. He's called you. 
And not only that, Jesus said, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. If Jesus, the Spirit of Christ, dwells in you, so that's the Holy Spirit. And the Bible says if you don't have the Spirit of Christ, you don't have Jesus at all. So if you're a believer, you have the Spirit of Christ in you. That means the Spirit of truth. And to deny the truth while the Spirit of truth lives in you is a serious enough sin that it costs these two people their lives. Now, I'm not saying you need to go around worried that God's going to strike you dead. But let me tell you something. We need to understand that's a serious sin. Now, son of man, in Ezekiel 33, 7 through 9, I'm making you a watchman for the people of Israel. Therefore, listen to what I say and warn them for me. If I announce that some wicked people are sure to die, and you fail to tell them to change their ways, then they will die in their sins, and I will hold you responsible for their deaths. But if you warn them to repent and they don't repent, they will die in their sins, but you will have saved yourself. Our responsibility is to speak the truth. It's to stand for truth. It doesn't mean everybody's going to accept it. It doesn't mean they're going to receive it. It doesn't mean they're even going to change their life. That's not my job. That's what God does. But my job is to stand for the truth. You know what? I was thinking about this the other day. I definitely, I don't want to go to, I'm kind of semi-claustrophobic. I get more that way the older I get. Anybody else? Man, there were things I could do. I, you know, I see, think of what I did when I was younger, and I'm like, oh, that was cool. And now I'm like, no way would I do that now. But it, one of the things, I, I don't want to go to jail. I really don't. But I'm telling you right now, if they came out, if the, the state came out and said that if you say this from the pulpit, you're going to jail. I'm going to say it the next week and just get it over with. I done decided. If they come up and take me off in cuffs, they take me off in cuffs. But I'm not, I'm responsible to God for what I say. I'm not going to be responsible to a state or to public opinion or what people like or what they don't like. It's our job to, to stand for and to preach and live truth in front of people. And that will not always be popular, but it's always the right thing to do. You know, everybody talks about, well, if we can get this guy elected or that girl elected or whatever, then everything will change. It will not change. We don't, we don't live in a country that's based on truth anymore. It's based, it's based on lies. And the only way that's going to change is if people who know the truth stand for the truth no matter what. And maybe there'll be enough other people that recognize it as truth that will turn around with you. But if we don't stand for truth, we have zero chance of turning this country around. That's 100% the truth. And let me tell you right now, there ain't no perfect politician. Ain't nobody I'm listening to, oh, well, this is God's man for blah, blah, blah. I don't know that you can be God's man and be a politician. I'm just being, I, I don't know. I mean, I've known some local ones and state ones, and, but outside of that, I don't know. At least you can get elected. Maybe you could be and not, you know, get like 1% of the vote, but I, I don't know. But we need to stand up for truth, and we, and we need to be willing to pay the price for it. 
I'd rather do that than pay the price for, for standing with a lie, wouldn't you? Because, you know, here's the thing about Ananias and Sapphira. If they're saved, and there's no evidence they weren't. Even though they lost their life in that moment, they still gained it with Christ. I mean, I don't, the, the weird thing is thinking about maybe getting up to heaven and going, hey, what were y'all thinking? Yeah, you're only the millionth person to ask me that over the last 2,000 years. But, you know, when we see them, they'll be perfect. They won't be sinning anymore. But see, that's the beautiful thing about knowing Jesus, is that even when we do blow it, he still loves us and we still belong to him. And that's, that's, the, that's the gospel. It's not, hey, come to know Jesus and he's going to fix you to where you don't ever sin anymore. You're going to sin here on this earth. But it's come, come to Jesus. And even when you do sin, you have a friend that will never leave you. And it's hard to read that story and go, man, could, I don't get all that. I understand it, but it's there for our benefit so that we understand the importance of truth, the importance of guarding against allowing the enemy a foothold, and the importance of speaking the truth and not going along. Those things are important, and they're going to be even more important in the days ahead. What will we do? What will you do? Would you bow your heads and close your eyes for a moment? The first thing is this. If you don't have a relationship with Jesus, I want you to know it really does not matter what you have done. There's nothing that you could have done that is too, too big or too bad to be forgiven by God. There's not. Anyone can be forgiven. But here's what you got to do. Number one, you got to admit that you're a sinner. The Bible says all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. You have to ask forgiveness of your sins. You got to believe in Jesus, that Jesus wasn't just some guy. He was God's son. He is God's son. He died on a cross for your sins, and he rose on the third day according to Scripture. And then the third thing, Romans 10, 9, and 10, that if you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. So here's the thing. If you'd like to know your sins are forgiven and that you're in right relationship with God and that that will be forever, I want to lead you in a brief prayer of salvation. So you can pray this prayer by repeating the words after me or by praying in your own words. Just pray it silently, pray in your heart, God will hear you. But if you'd like to know, I want to encourage you, pray this with me right now. Dear God in heaven, thank you for loving me. Thank you for Jesus. God, I know I'm a sinner. Forgive me of my sins. Come into my heart, my life. Cleanse me. Today, I trust Jesus as my Savior, your Son. And I confess Him as my Lord. 
Now here's what I'm going to ask you to do. I'm not going to ask you to stand up. You don't have to say anything in front of all these people. But if you prayed that prayer today and you meant it, I want you to look up at me right now and keep looking. If you prayed that prayer today and you meant it, look up at me right now. I want to pray for you and I want to encourage you. Okay. Now I want to pray for you if you prayed that today. I want to encourage you to let someone know. We're not going to ask anything from you. We just want to help you. And we'd love to take a few moments to talk to you on the phone or in person and answer any questions about the decision that you just made and also talk to you about the next steps in following Christ. And there's a number on the screen. You can just text SAVE to that word. We'll get back with you and set up a time to talk to you. There's also a QR code there on the screen and in your bulletin. So if you'd rather do it later on when you get home, just contact us and let us know. And we're not going to put you on a mailing list. We're not going to bug you. We just want to help you and take the next steps in following Jesus. So right now, I want to pray for you, and I want to pray for each of us that God would help us to stand for truth. And it won't be easy. But man, will it bear fruit. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you, God, for your mercy, your grace your love for us. We thank you for Jesus. And Father, I thank you for those that made a decision to trust you. And Lord, I pray that you would bless them, that you'd encourage them, that you guide them by your word and by other believers. And Father, I pray for each of us, Lord, that you would help us to stand for truth. And Father, these are not easy days to stand up for even obvious truths. But Lord, give us the courage, give us your word to speak the truth in love. Father, we pray and we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to the Sermon Audio Podcast from Greenwood Baptist Church in Weatherford, Texas. You can find links to topics and scriptures discussed in this episode by looking at the show notes. You can find more information online at greenwood.church. If you have any questions or comments, please send an email to info at greenwoodbc.com.